time to panic after a second loss to the Utah Jazz? Was Willie Green outcoached? I want to look at one area that people said was a problem, but not in the way that they think. Plus, what happened offensively? There's a lot to break down in today's episode of Locked On Pelicans. Let's go. You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with y'all on this Friday, recapping another Pelicans loss as they fall to the Utah Jazz in overtime, 132-129. Time to panic? Actually, I don't think so. And I want to break down some very specific things that we saw in this game. Was defensive rebounding a problem for New Orleans? What went on defensively? And how can they fix some of the things on offense that we saw? Because frankly, this was a very winnable game for New Orleans. Went to overtime, after all. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all, breaking down everything you want to know about this team, the good, the bad. We're here no matter what, breaking it all down with sometimes big guests like Larry Nance Jr. in yesterday's show. So thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen. Today's episode of Locked On Pelicans is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline is covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So let's get into it. 132-129 loss for the Pelicans in overtime. Are we panicking? So the number one thing that I think people came to me at with on Twitter was Walker Kessler. And why wasn't uh, Jonas Valanciunas playing in overtime when they needed to get a rebound and didn't seem to really be able to secure all of those? I don't think this was a problem, and I don't think this was a particularly easy fix for New Orleans. So let's start. This actually starts with Zion and it starts in the first game of this series. And what Zion does particularly well is he is a menace as a weak side help defender. He can handle one-on-one in isolation situations, but when he's allowed to kind of roam and just hunt for the ball and leave his man and almost go play free safety at times, He's his best. That's when you see him get a lot of blocks from behind. That's when you see him come in and just rip the ball out of someone's arms when they're trying to beat their main defender, and then Zion comes in out of nowhere and gets it. And in game one, the Utah Jazz didn't want to deal with that. So what they do is they run a lot of off-ball screens, a lot of off-ball screens, which the Pelicans switch on, and then get Zion into a main action, a pick and roll. So now he switched on to somebody else than his original defender, or original mark. And now he gets into a pick and roll and switches again. And you saw it in particular in this game. In game one, it led to Zion getting in foul trouble. When he had to sit down with three fouls in that first half, two of those were defensively because the Jazz put him in main actions. They made him the primary on-ball defender instead of being that off-ball weak side help. This, you saw the same thing. Go back and watch this game again if you want, and I don't have the numbers in front of me with it yet. But he was matched up on Jordan Clarkson a lot, wasn't he? 
How many times do you see Jordan Clarkson trying to drive by Zion and get downhill and get to the basket or Mike Conley? They did the same thing. They wanted Zion as an on-ball defender. And to his credit, he did really well. He did really well. There was a possession where he guarded both Clarkson and Olenek in the same possession and shut them both down. He can still do that. He's a, he's a good defender now. But that's what they were looking to do. If Jonas Valanciunas was out there on the court in the fourth quarter or overtime, they would have done the same thing to him. And here's the problem with that. He would have been matched up on someone who's a guard, 6'3". And that guard would have blown by him because Jonas doesn't defend well in space. Or he would have left him open at the top of the three-point line because he's trying to drop back and guard the rim, which is just his natural instincts and what he does. It wouldn't have worked. Larry Nance Jr. out there can defend those drives from guards, can defend the three-point line, and defends better in space overall. And that's why he was out there instead of Jonas Valanciunas. The Utah Jazz in this game only had 11 offensive rebounds. That doesn't seem to be a huge problem. New Orleans, by comparison, had 19. Now, what Utah did with those 11 rebounds was go and get 26 second-chance points. New Orleans had 25 second-chance points on 19 offensive boards. The issue was not that they were getting offensive boards. They limited that. It's that New Orleans couldn't get a stop. And that goes to the what we were just talking about, that New Orleans was struggling to contain some of those drives. They weren't doing a good job on Utah's three-point shooters. They weren't staying home on good three-point shooters. You saw Trey Murphy get lost again and help off. You saw Herb Jones help off of guys and sag off and leave open three-point shooters. The ball found them. They took the shot. They made them. Those were the bigger issues to me defensively, not the defensive rebounding. I don't think Jonas Valanciunas at the end of this game or overtime would have done anything to change the outcome. The Utah Jazz had one offensive rebound in overtime. That's it. New Orleans just couldn't score. To only get six points in overtime when you have Zion Williamson on the court, that's a big problem to me. We'll get into that in the next segment here because they were awful on all of that. But the bigger issue defensively for New Orleans was not staying home on three-point shooters and kind of, it's what Antonio Daniels says all the time on the broadcast, right? Know your personnel. KYP. Know your personnel. I was like, what's the acronym for it? Um, KYP. Know your personnel. And the New Orleans Pelicans did not do a good job of that. Zion actually did a good job of defending in space in isolation situations, but it was everything else that really hurt them. You also saw them overplaying Mike Conley drives to the basket. That was a guy who in the fourth quarter only had two points and they were so concerned about him scoring that they just, I, I don't know, overplayed it. He finished with four points on the night, six assists. Let him take some shots. He was one of eight from the field, including 0 for 4 from 3. Do you need to worry about him too much, or is it better to stay home on the shooters that are 40% and above for the Utah Jazz? That's the difference to me, at least defensively. It wasn't Jared Vanderbilt or Walker Kessler or Kelly Olenek grabbing offensive boards and getting back and scoring and all of that. It's Jordan Clarkson making seven threes that were easy makes for him in route to 39 points. It was Larry Markinen going five of nine from three in route to 31 points. That's where they lost the game defensively, not because of the defensive rebounding. They would have put Jonas on an island in an isolation situation and they would have torched New Orleans. If that was the case, Conley would have more points. He would have loved that matchup. It wouldn't have worked. I, you know, I don't think they did that part wrong. I think it was everything else that really killed them. Offensively, though, we all saw it. 
That wasn't good. Let's talk about that coming up here next in today's episode of Locked on Pelicans. Before we do that, though, today's episode of Locked on Pelicans is brought to you by the NHTSA. Think about it. You're heading out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes too many and the evening comes to an end and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride, but nah, you've got this. You live nearby. You can make it home okay. What are the odds you're going to get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe, plan ahead, get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. And today's episode of Locked on Pelicans is also brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Zion, over 30 on the night. That was an easy one. 29 and a half. You're going to take that pretty much every single time. CJ got it going. Was big for New Orleans in this one, too. Despite some struggles, over 25 and a half, you would have won right there. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. You pick two to six players, and if they go score more or less than their prize pick projections, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. And the best part, you're not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, and they have projections on any sport you watch. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, and they also offer safe and fast withdrawals, and they're currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. Don't forget, enter promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all, breaking down everything you want to know about this Pelicans team the good, the bad, the great interviews this week with Antonio Daniels. And Larry Nance Jr., give that one a listen if you haven't. He really goes into some interesting behind-the-scenes aspects on the Pelicans' culture, which I thought was really great insight from him. And now for your second listen, go check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with the local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So we're talking about the Pelicans losing in overtime 132-129 to the Utah Jazz. A lot of what y'all are saying on Twitter I disagree with. I don't think defensive rebounding was a big problem. I don't think Jonas Valanciunas would have been the answer for New Orleans. Another area that they could have turned this one around and won this game was finding some better offense at times, please, right? There's so many different spots that we can start with this one, and the offense just wasn't where it needs to be. But let's start with this. Still no Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram would have made a world of difference in this game for New Orleans. When the offense goes stagnant and length is bothering the, Pelican, bothering the Pelicans, and the Jazz, particularly Walker Kessler, did a good job. Three blocks, that's where you can really kind of discuss him as a problem. Blocking shots, defending the rim while making life difficult for Zion Williamson. New Orleans missed four shots early in the fourth quarter that were bunnies at the rim just because they were bothered enough by the length of the Jazz to throw it off just by that much that causes a miss. And if that's not there, they score those points. This is a different game that we're looking at. But Brandon Ingram, mid-range killer, would have been key in this one. The Jazz are good from the three-point line defensively. They're good down low. They want you to take those mid-range shots. There's a guy 
in street clothes for New Orleans that would have come in, nailed those shots. I've seen a lot of people being like, he needs to get back. It's just a bruise. It's not just like he has like a bruise like you get on your arm, right? This is a deeper, more bone contusion bruise thing. It's basically, I believe, closer to turf toe than not. That's tough when you're jumping, when you're running, when you're pushing off on your feet. Think about what that big toe does. So look, I'd like to see him back sooner rather than later. I hope we will. But I don't think this is as simple as him like trying to take a vacation or anything like that. So that would have fixed some things there. The other thing they you really saw them struggle with in terms of scoring in overtime, just six points, by the way, was just getting away from Zion at times. They can't do that. They just absolutely cannot do that. They need to go to him and run point Zion basically every time he's out on the court. I get you want to get CJ touches and let him kind of influence the offense and run the team. But Zion, point Zion is the way to go. We've seen this by now. If there's criticism I have of Willie Green, it's in that. This works. We know it works. Why? Why are you getting away from that? And I'm not quite sure. It might have been that Zion was just clearly out of gas at the end of this game. You could see how winded he was. He was trying his best. For a long time in this, it was just basically him on offense, kind of willing this team and getting them as far as he could. 31 points, 12 of 24 shooting, 50%, which is bad for him. Eight rebounds, eight assists, two blocks, three turnovers, which is fine there, and only two fouls. He was excellent. And there's just not enough help around him at times to go out and get that, you know, pick up that scoring burden. And you saw him just kind of running on empty towards the end of this game, running out of gas, but they still got to feed it through him. At least if you have the ball in his hands, he can pass. And he's on a sense, you know, the best decoy you have in a league there. They can't go a possession or two in overtime where he doesn't touch the ball. Like that just can't, can't happen to me. I really don't understand all of that and what you saw from them there. You know, the other part here. In a game where you don't have Brandon Ingram, is 16 turnovers going to hurt you? 16, some of them particularly bad, most of them live ball turnovers, which let the Utah Jazz get out and run in transition. Oh, sorry, it's 18 turnovers. They had two team turnovers. Like, that's uh, that's not great, right? The Utah Jazz had 33 points off the Pelicans' turnovers. That's going to lose you the game pretty much every single time. And... there's not much you can do there other than just take care of the ball better. Part of that is a lack of spacing. You saw multiple times it hit multiple guys where CJ in particular, right? Where driving baseline, there's just no space turns the ball over, gets into the lane. The spacing's bad because there's three bodies down there. Cause they're worried about Zion ball gets poke loose. You know, when you have the length of the jazz, that's something you've got to kind of deal with and live with. And that's a problem. And you saw it here. Brandon Ingram fixes that. You know, generating more three-point shots probably keeps that defense honest a little bit. They only took 30 in this game. The Jazz took 47. I'd like to see that number go up a little bit. But at the same point, they didn't have guys making shots, right? Trey started to get it going again, 3 of 7 from deep, which was good. CJ was 3 of 8 from deep, which was good. Dyson hit two threes. You know, you still got to try and find ways to generate those looks just to keep a little bit more pressure off of Zion until you can get, you know, another... 20 plus 28 point score per game in Brandon Ingram back. That's really where it struggled. And then little things, right? The inbounds passes that they struggled with. They almost didn't get a shot off on the final possession. How many times were they struggling to inbound the ball before Trey Murphy hit the three that sent them to overtime? That should not be this hard. That should not have been this hard. Their plays out of timeouts were just 
rough, particularly late in the game and in overtime. And you had a couple of possessions where it's just like, what what's happening here? Why is this so hard? It doesn't need to be this hard. And the Pelicans seem to just still be a slight step slower than the Utah Jazz were. Plus, there's some weirdness to this game with the refs and other things, which we'll get to in the next segment, along with Larry Nance Jr. and a little bit more on CJ. But you got to clean those things up. Like Those are the things that you really do control. Executing out of a timeout, you control that. Your effort, your energy, particularly early on in the game when New Orleans kind of seemed to still sleepwalk their way through things, you control that. The Jazz might be a matchup problem at times. I don't think they truly are. This was a winnable game for New Orleans in this one. The game earlier in the season in New Orleans was a winnable game for them too. People are saying, oh, some teams just have your number. Like, yeah, but no. To go to overtime with this team, Utah's good. Like they've, They've done a really good job against teams that are above 500 they're like 13 and 6 against plus 500 teams they beat good teams they're a good team they might not be a good team by the end of the year but they're a good team now you know to to say you went to overtime on the road with them like you could have won this game you weren't going to win Tuesday night's game but you were going to win you could have won this one you could have won the one earlier in the season third game of the year for New Orleans whatever the home opener night was you could have won that this is a team they are absolutely capable of beating just clean up a couple of things and just do what works really well which is Zion point Zion and creating for others that would have gone a long way I think towards getting the win maybe it was just simply he ran out of you know energy at the end and you know if that happens that happens he's on empty but I don't know. Give the ball to him in his hands and good things seem to happen. But it was nice to see Trey Murphy get his shot back a little bit, make that big three that sent them to overtime. So let's get back into a couple more things from this game coming up next. Larry Nance Jr., CJ, the weirdness of the game. I don't really know what happened there at the end. We we lost some time and not in kind of like the good fun. I don't even know if there's ever a fun way. I don't know what I'm saying. They lost some time. It was weird. I don't understand it. Let's break that down coming up here next in today's episode of Locked on Pelicans. Before we do that, though, today's episode of Locked on Pelicans is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. So get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, whether it's pro football, college bowl season, basketball, World Cup final. They've got it all over at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can even find those there at BetOnline.net as well. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this show, watching the show, you love sports podcasts. And it's always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. Still can get pretty good odds on Zion for MVP right now if you really think he's going to lead this team to the one seed. He's going to be in, in competition for that. We did a whole show on that. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action happening right now over at betonline.net. Bet online where the game starts. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all like no one else is coming to you like this. Breaking down the biggest stories around this team. Everything that you want to know. Getting big name guests, Antonio Daniels. Larry Dance Jr. was on the show talking for 30 minutes about all things Pelicans. Very honest, very insightful. Give that a watch if you haven't. It's pinned on the YouTube page. And now for your second listen, Locked On Saints. Host Ross Jackson breaking down everything you want to know about the black and gold. Can they do anything over these final four games? He's going to fill you in on what they need to do to end the season strong and start planning, likely, for next year. So go check out Locked On Saints as your second listen. So at the end of the game, there was some weirdness. And look, these refs have not been great, to say the least. 
in Utah. Last game, foul trouble for a number of players. You saw Jonas Valanciunas get two, Trey got two, Herb got two early on, and it was just like, are we going through all of this again? And the answer was kind of yeah, kind of no, but the refs weren't great. And at the end of the game, there were a couple of missed weird, weird things. I don't understand really what happened. After Trey hit the three that tied the game, the Utah Jazz called a timeout. They advanced the ball. They have a chance for a quick two here, get a score, get out, and win. As they're inbounding the ball, and they're trying to get it to Lowry Markkinen in, in, around the free throw line, and you had Jonas Valanciunas guarding the inbound. You had Najee Marshall on Lowry Markkinen. You had Larry Nance Jr. on someone else, probably Olenek. I'm not sure. And as they inbounded the ball, and I don't remember who was inbounding it, they threw it off of JV's foot. Two seconds left. Okay, it goes out of bounds. It's still Utah Jazz ball, same side out. And as they start to inbound the ball again, there's still two seconds left. They originally ran time off. It was 1.8, should be like 0.2.1.3, something like that, that comes off the clock. But nothing did. And that's not the biggest deal there, but it gives Utah a little bit of extra time if they get a buzzer-beating shot off. And in theory, could influence things. So this time they inbound it. They move Larry Nance Jr. on to... Larry Markkinen. Markkinen tries to go to the low left block. You know, you saw the play, right? Ball goes up. Larry blocks it. And that's the end of the game. We go to overtime. Except they called a goaltend. Reviewed it. Was not a goaltend. And then they still went to overtime. Larry, when he blocked the shot and controls the ball, has 0.8 seconds left or something like that. Maybe it was a little bit less than that left on the clock. Probably enough time to, you know, draw up an inbound play that the Pelicans probably would have screwed up and get like one last heave or one last like, you know, moonshot or something. Devontae Graham's good at those for the Pelicans. And that didn't happen. And it was weird. And I don't understand why. Where does the time go? If they blow the whistle on a goaltend and then they say, oh, we're going to go review it. The whistle stops the play. There should have been time left. So. Or you go and review it and you're like, oh, okay, you know, we, we blew the whistle. It was wrong. We overturned it. Here's how much time is left. I don't know the rules on that. And this might be normally what happens, but it is a little bit weird that time just kind of went off the clock and we went straight to overtime. I also am wondering, and someone pointed this out to me on Twitter. I, I don't have the tweet in front of me, so I, I'm sorry for not crediting you, that maybe they, they ruled it a goaltend to be able to review it, that if they ruled it not, a you know, just nothing, clean block, which it was, great play that they wouldn't be able to review it and they potentially could have gotten the call wrong. It's kind of like, what, in the NFL, if you are if you think a guy's down but the ball comes out, you may as well just call it a fumble and then you can review it and just kind of go back to the spot and be like, oh, he was down, it's no big deal. I wonder if they were doing that there. Still a little bit weird. We didn't get any explanation on that. Willie Green said that after the game. Same with Larry Nance Jr. Just a little bit strange. And Larry Nance Jr., by the way, Really good performance from him. I thought he did a good job on Walker Kessler trying to control the boards. He had a massive tip out on that Trey Murphy game time three. That doesn't happen unless he just swats the ball back and New Orleans retains possession of it. 13 points, scoring down low, made a three. Did everything you could want from him. Again, I don't know if JV was the answer. I don't think the rebounding was a huge problem for New Orleans. Some of that reared its head at, you know, ugly times, and you didn't like that. But overall, I thought the Utah Jazz were limited in that 
capacity. And so I don't think, you know, it was better to replace Larry Nance Jr. with JV. And I thought he did a good job of trying to limit Walker Kessler as much as he could, despite having a size disadvantage there. But he was great in this. His rebounding is tough. He gets to the right spots offensively. He does just kind of everything you need him to do. Maybe a little bit biased given I interviewed him yesterday. Awesome player. Love to have him on the team. CJ did get going in this one too. 28 points from him. 3 of 8 from 3, which you like to see on 25 shots. So it's positive shot efficiency there. You know, he dished the ball out a little bit more here in this one. 4 assists. Times a little too much hero ball at the end. And you're kind of wondering what he was doing. The final shot, he had a chance to get a 3 off to tie the game in overtime. And way short after... I don't, I don't know. It wasn't the prettiest. He dribbled back out to try and take the three instead of going for a quick two. I don't have a problem with that. And then uh, just almost a little bit of indecisiveness, trying to find the best way to get the best shot. And at that point, either make a decision or get it to someone else who maybe has a better look. Maybe could have drawn contact with Jordan Clarkson who came flying, though I don't think he would have been able to get that shot up in time and get that foul call. But at least to see, it's nice to see him trending in the right direction when it comes to the shooting when it comes to the offense just go point Zion let him fit into that and I think you kind of solved that problem so I don't look at this game as one that I'm really panicking about better defense know your personnel a little bit better offense more points Zion at Brandon Ingram back into the mix and I think New Orleans is still in a really good spot let me know down below in the comments you worried not worried after this one and that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Pelicans this week at Locked On Pelicans. It's been a fun week. Thank you for being along for the ride here. Thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen. And as always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Enjoy the game Saturday, and I'll be back with y'all on Monday and other game days. The Pelicans take on the Bucks.